something struck me one day, and that was that every sermon I read online was about uh, ten ways to be a better dad. I thought, something is messed up about that. On Father's Day, the fathers come to church and be told how to be a better dad, but on Mother's Day, it's, ooh. Now, something's really odd about this. On Mother's Day, mothers get honored, and on Father's Day, dads get whipped. You know, one little kid said this. Somebody said, you know what Father's Day is about? And he goes, oh, yeah, Father's Day is like Mother's Day, but the, but the presents are a lot less expensive. <laughs> I called up Olive Garden because I wanted to go out for Father's Day today. And I said, uh, are we going to have a problem getting in after church on Father's Day? She said, oh, no, you won't have a problem. But on Mother's Day, I said, what is going on around here? So at the gathering place, we made a, a, a vow a number of years ago that we do not shame dads on Father's Day. We honor dads on Father's Day. Amen? I know a lot of dads around here who are great dads. So rather than talking about the fatherless generation, the guys who aren't here in church today that are not fathering well, I want to honor the dads who are in the house today who are fathering well. All right? Not perfect, as the kids will tell you. But listen, kids, you're not perfect either, so just sit down and be quiet and honor your father. So here's what I see about the dads around here. There's three things I see. And across the D-A-D. It's profound, I know. D-A-D. Number one, the dads around here that I've hung out with, men's camp, small groups, one is D, devoted to their children. The dads here are seriously devoted to their children. Now... What does devotion look like? Well, there's many things I could say, but the one that comes to mind immediately is that he spends time with his kids. Time spent, time is a, a, a perishable commodity that you can never get back. Every minute, it's gone. You can't get it back. So whenever a dad spends time with his kids, it's communicating worth, that, you're, that you are valuable to me. And uh, especially for dads who are still in the child-rearing years, have kids at home, I mean, it's extremely busy. It's not just the job. It's also the parenting, the husbanding, uh, especially if you're a single dad. My brother Rob back there on the tech. That's, that's extremely hard when you're a single dad and you've got your job and then you've got your ministry on top of that or just hanging out with a brother or, or helping a brother. Uh, and not to mention personal time, if you get any. And, of course, when you do have personal time, the slice that you get, you always get interrupted right Right before the guy's going to kick the winning field goal. Or when there's 1.9 seconds left on the NBA clock, finals clock, right? That's how you know that the DVR was created by a dude who was trying to save his marriage. He had to come up with a way to save his family. Love that thing. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is so much more evident in my life now that the DVR was, right? It's like, oh, I have all the time in the world for you. I look so much more like Jesus with a DVR. I call dads and text them, constantly catch them at games or performances or watching the kids while the mom needs to go shop or um, go cry somewhere. And, uh, you know, or I, I have dads, I have dads um, tell me that they can't make it to an event because they have to, uh, a ministry event because they have to be with their kids or helping them out or, or especially if they're hurt and they need to, Attend to them. You look at Facebook, you see the dads with the kids. Many times I will, if my, my kids have something really important, 
many times, and you can ask my staff, I'll cancel even a very important meeting. And I let my kids know about it. But not to shame them. <laughs> not to shame them. And not to make myself look good, but rather to communicate to them, you're more important to me than any very important meeting. I want them to grow up knowing that, that they're more important to me than anyone else in the world. Um, Josh Hamilton's one of those. He's in the house today. I wanted to go to a Bethel worship night, and Josh called me and said, we were all excited about it, we're going to do it. And he, he just called me or emailed me or texted me or something and said, got to take care of my family. Done. Mike Dam is another family man. We had a eat and greet here, and I was looking around for our youth pastor. He was gone. I thought, what a, what a slouch. I'm aware of the heck is our youth pastor, right? I didn't think that. I didn't think that. So I called him. I said, hey, what's up? And he said, my kid was at a tournament, and she got sick. I had to bail. I mean, that, that's, that's family first, right? These are dads who value their family. Their family is their first ministry. And you guys are their second. How does that make you feel? you feel good? They are good dads. And you might think, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Well, there's some dads that just aren't, aren't uh, as good as dads as Mike and Josh, our, our worship pastor and our youth pastor. Like, I was in a meeting with the principal, high school principals from the region. We have a relationship. We get together, and once in a while we eat tacos at the taco shop, talking about how to reach families in the, in the, in the city. And I'm sitting with the five principals, and I get a text from Hope, my wife, who said, I think Ava broke her wrist. And I looked at the text and set it aside and kept eating my burrito. And, and about an hour and a half, two hours later, I'm standing in the parking lot talking to one of the principals. And I said, oh, you know what? I, I should probably go. I got a text earlier a couple hours ago that my 10-year-old may have broken her wrist. And they said, why didn't you go two hours ago? I said, ah, you know, first kid, like with Elliot. I mean, if I got that text, oh, I got to go. I'm sorry, you guys. I broke his wrist. Broke his wrist. Get up there. Take him down to the hospital, right? Six kids later, it's like, ah, you know, she's got another arm. Not a big deal. So not all, not all dads here are on the ball. But, so I want to say that God is the best father of all. Look at this passage. Look at this passage. When you go through deep waters, God says, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I love this psalm that says, when my mother and father forsake me, then God will take care of me. Even if your mom and dad were to forsake you, God will take care of you. This next verse, God says, for I hold your hand. I will hold, for I hold you by your right hand. Just read the scripture, John. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God. And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. God is with you. All the time, in good times and bad. Do you know that that's why he created you? He did not create you to serve him, though we do serve him. He created you to have a relationship with you. The psalmist says, where can I go to get away from you? I keep trying, but you just keep following me everywhere I go. In fact, you're there when I arrive. That's because God is the best father in the universes. Can I hear an Amen. So one, the fathers around here, what I've seen is they are D, devoted to their children. Secondly, A, I see them and hear them affirm their children. Everybody needs affirmation. I like what Bill Johnson says, the pastor of Bethel Church up in Northern California. California, He said, 
Because I've always, I couldn't articulate this, but I knew it was true. Everybody needs affirmation. Everybody needs to know that they have value and worth. Because we live in a fallen world, and we all deal with shame. We all deal with our sense of imperfection and falling short. The devil certainly helps us because he is the accuser of the brethren. So he's always talking in our ear about how we're falling short in every area of our life. So we all need affirmation. But this is what he said. He said, God is the primary source of our affirmation. God, our Father, we are his sons and daughters. And we need to be able to hear his voice, know his grace and his mercy. That's where we get our worth. But affirmation from people are like the supplements to the main course. Like the vitamins that you take. You can't survive on vitamins, but you need to take your vitamins to be able to supplement the nutrition that you need. So, and, and there's no place more needed than a father affirming their sons and daughters. Especially because the father represents God in their children's lives uh, to, a, to a large degree. The relationship that you have with your dad will translate into the relationship you have with God. And so affirming your children is powerful. So there's four ways that I see dads can uh, affirm their children. I'm going to blow through these pretty quickly. Number one is encouraging words. Number two is physical affection. Number three is provision. And number four is compassion. We're going to take a look at these real quick. Encouraging words, physical affection, provision, and compassion. These all communicate worth to our children. Now you see all four of these... And the story of the prodigal son. For those who don't know the story of the prodigal son, it's a son. Jesus painted the story for the religious leaders of his day that were legalists, condemning, judgmental fathers. And so Jesus paints a picture of the heavenly father. This is called the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal means lavish. It means extreme. It means overbalanced. I think this is about the prodigal father. Jesus is telling a story about how lavish, lavish God's love is on the most undeserving of us. So he paints this picture for a Jewish mind of the worst son a Jewish father could ever imagine. Takes his inheritance before his dad's even dead. Runs off, gets into sexual immorality and drunkenness and partying and going off into a foreign land. Cuts covenant with a non-Jewish person, becomes a servant in his house, and runs out of money, runs out of friends, ends up eating the pods that the pigs are eating. And he comes to his senses and says, dear God, I'm an idiot. I need to go home. And so here he comes. So he got up in Luke chapter 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, here's the first one, compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him, this physical affection. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Basically, everything you stand for, everything God stands for, I have gone the opposite direction. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, here's Jesus talking about the love of the father. But the father said to his servants, didn't even answer his son, Quick, bring the best robe, the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. There's the provision. For this son of mine, there's a verbal affirmation, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. These four things, encouraging words, physical affection, provision, and compassion. I'm going to hit them quickly. Words. Words are outrageously powerful. Now, I know that 
teens especially and parents have different languages. And so I've got five. I want to see what kind of cool dads we have in here up to current dads we have who know how to communicate with their teenagers especially, okay? I have five $5 Starbucks gift cards right here that are going to go out to five dads today. You can only win once. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to name five words or phrases that teenagers use. And if a dad can tell me what the word means, you get a $5 gift card. All right? You guys ready for this? Okay. The first one. What does or what is the dab? The dab. You got it? You got it? You're a grandpa and you know this? All right. What's the dab? Oh! Come on up here. Come here. Oh! See? We are cool. All right. Stand right here and demonstrate the dab. Come on. Is that one or two? Is that one? Two, three, four. All right, good. All right. You guys ready for another one? I don't know if that can be topped today. What does it's lit mean? It's lit. L-I-T. It's lit. That would be in the 1970s, yes. It's lit means he's lit means he can't drive home. Carry him out of the bar. We will drive him home for you. Come on, it's lit. Come on, dads. Okay, nobody. All right, we're going to move on. I have, I have some backup words. What? Is that right? Huh? I think they're both. If you're lit, you're drunk, or high. That's not what she said. Okay. One of my teenagers agrees with you. The other teenager gave me a different one. But he's a senior, she's a freshman. So they even have different languages. All right, there you go. Whoa, nice block. It's lit can mean either you are drunk or high, or it can mean cool. That's a great idea. I'm in. Or as we would say, dig it, man. All right. Far out. All right, you guys. All right, come on. We're we're bringing the generations together here this morning. How about, I got to say it. (laughs) Okay, stay woke. Stay woke. That means you skipped your grammar class. Stay woke. Come on, dads. Brian, you got this one? Huh? Uh, I think you're like trying to. Okay, gosh, we've got to move on, you guys. That one meant stay current. All right. How about throwing shade? Throwing shade. Oh, this is an epic fail this morning. Throwing shade. Okay, let's give an easy one. How well? It does. And you are a spiritual father, so you can have one. I'm going to have to go to the easier ones. Okay, how about 
Okay, well, that's about as easy as it gets, okay? That's sick. Matt? All right. I remember when I was a youth pastor 100 years ago, that's when that word came out, and somebody said, he's sick. And I said, he's sick? I want to pray for him. They're like, no. They're like, no, that means he's awesome. I said, what? What? I did not. I thought we were completely missing each other, which we were. And the last one, we will say, I've got to use it. Okay, am I going to? Savage. Savage. No, you're a youth pastor. No. Savage. Okay. Savage. They did something very good. Animal. I just gave it. Does that work? Oh, I know, but you're not. You're a woman. You're a mother. This is not Mother's Day. She's always cheesing. Somebody. Mike. There you go. Oh, what a shot. That was awesome. Okay, so clearly we do not understand each other. But there's a universal, there are universal words that truly hit the heart. They're words that don't make you cool, but they do make you a great dad. And I hear them around here a lot. I respect you for, you name something specific. I am proud of you because I love you. You tell your children of their accomplishments. Kids are always failing, just like parents are. That's why it's so important to give words of affirmation. When I was down in Mexico, I went to a men's rehabilitation center, and it was right out on a bluff, right over the ocean. There used to be nothing there. And um, and this guy named Hans from Holland began br- accepting the worst of the worst, the dredge of society, guys coming out of prison, gang members, uh, people whose families gave up on them, drunkards. I mean, these guys, they're at the end of their rope, suicidal, demon-possessed. They cast four demons out of a guy the morning we arrived. I mean, these guys are gone. And Hans, with tears in his eyes, is saying, there's never lose hope for anyone. He said, inside every human being, there's something good. You just got to find it. I mean, the guy that oversees their Bible college wears a patch because he was in a gang fight, has a bullet through his eye, stuck in his brain, they can't get it out. This guy was hardcore gang, and now he oversees their Bible college because of Hans. He believes in everybody. So this one guy was the number one tagger, number one graffiti artist in the the Baja, the number one guy. The federales drove him to the Men's Rehabilitation Center, said to Hans, if we ever see this guy again, Nobody will ever see him again. And they push him out of the truck. He was the number one tagger on the Baja. Now, he gave his life to Christ, and he teaches art classes at the orphanage. And he drew that on the wall of the church, a picture of the prodigal son. Isn't that cool? Affirmation is critical. Secondly, physical affection. You see this in the uh, prodigal. We came from a generation where some dads just feel really uncomfortable showing affection. But I see it around here all the time. I see girls with their arms around their dad or dads with their hands on their kids or sons leaning up against their dad or bear hugs. Physical affection is critical. Uh, Psychologists say and sociologists say it takes eight 
meaningful hugs a day to stay emotionally healthy. God is very physical. I mean, you see John, the apostle, a grown man leaning on Jesus' chest at dinner in the the Last Supper. And Jesus didn't say, John, you're making me really uncomfortable right now. Give me some space. You know, there's this... God is, God is not uncomfortable with physical affection. Jesus constantly lays his hands on children. Paul lays his hands on Timothy. Moses on Joshua. I mean, you see this all throughout the Bible. It's a way of transferring spiritual blessings. That's all this with Lewis on the mission field. His kids, he and his kids are like draped over each other all the time. They're, they're eating and the kid's like on his lap or he's got his hand on him or his arm around him. Or, I mean, there's a ton of, ton of physical affection going on in the Moore's home. And he's just a dad that's not afraid to show physical affection to his kids. I mean, cuddling, snuggling, hugging, it communicates security to a child. I remember when Elliot was a kid, just a little baby, like six months old, about one, he was about one, one and a half. He used to just absolutely love laying his back on my chest. So I'd have to lay on the couch. He would lay on my chest and just go like this and just fall asleep. And there were times I'd have to lay there for hours. And if I didn't let him do that, he really got upset until I would lay on the couch. He'd climb up, put his back on me. So one day I thought, I really don't want to do this today. I got things to do. And then I had this thought, you know, when Ellie's about 18 years old, he's not going to want to be doing this anymore. (laughs) And you know what? I was right. He hasn't done that for at least a couple of years. I miss those days. Provision. You see this in the prodigal son. This is the third affirmation. Provision. Providing for your children's needs and desires means this, dads. You have sacrificed many of your own needs and desires to provide for your children. This communicates values. I see guys in this church working overtime, working two jobs, trying to provide for the kids. Les Meredith, one of the hardest working dads I've ever known. He's put two kids, putting two kids through college. One has already graduated, right? Another one's in college. And one just graduated from high school, so there goes another hundred grand. So I'll see you around. He, he works. He travels. I mean, he is, he's one of the hardest working dads I know. Bruce Clegg's another one. He's not in the house today, but he's a supervisor construction, and he's worked with migraines where he has to go to the trail and just lay down. His head's just going to explode. Goes back out, working on the construction site. He's been doing that for years. Just continues, provides for his family. When you work hard, you add value to your family, and they notice it. We have a lot of hardworking dads around here. Great job, dads. Good job. You're doing well. You're doing good. You're good dads. Amen? Yeah. All right, I thought I'd get an amen off that one. I think the dads were waiting for everybody else to say amen. Maybe the wife or the kids. Let's try that again. Dad, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Oh, that was unsolicited. Last is compassion. He loves his children. Compassion is you love your kids no matter what because they're just kids. Hope's had to tell me this over the, over the first handful of years. He had to say, honey, they're just kids. Honey, they're just kids. Well, they need to know how to pull their own weight around here. Yeah, but she's only one and a half, right? They're just kids. I mean, a dad loves no matter what, even when nobody takes responsibility for the broken lamp. Isn't that amazing how something can break in the house? And you know everybody who lives there, like when our septic tank 
backed up and I had to pay a couple thousand dollars and what they found were a bunch of baby wipes. So I walked around to every individual in the house. No, I don't flush baby wipes down the toilet. No, I don't do it. Do you do it? No, I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't. So then what are you, where are you, what are you left with? Somebody broke into our house, <laughs> grabbed a whole bunch of baby wipes for some reason, flushed them, and then left. That's the only logical answer to that. So dads can really get upset when there's a scratch on the car or a virus on the computer and nobody did it. But love casts out all fear. I mean, I remember one time when I was just like smoke coming out of my ears. I don't have to remember too far. Smoke coming out of my ears. And I'm just like, oh, right? You just get so frustrated. And right in this dark cloud of thunder, Ava, who's 10 now, I think she was like 8 that time, just walked right across the room and went right up to me and just put her head on my stomach and her arms around me. And I thought, this is not fair. This is not a fair fight. But you see, when there's love, then no matter how grumpy or upset dad gets, the kids know that behind that dark cloud, there's a loving father. And there's somewhere. You just got to get through it. The father, God, God gets anger, but it doesn't last very long. Look at this passage. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He does discipline us for our sins, but not all of them. He doesn't go the full measure as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He's like a father to his children. Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows we are, how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. When I'm bringing discipline or something, I think, I remember when I was a kid, man, you know, we're just all growing up. And a father needs to pull back sometimes. Father's love makes children feel safe. Of course, we have the dads here showing compassion, the father to the fatherless. I think of Jim Gronendahl. I mean, he's an adoptive parent. He's, he's a foster parent. I mean, he has, he has adopted and fostered so many kids. I think of uh, Ben, Ben Mester, who's here. He, uh, he's a 20, how, how old are you, Ben? How old are you? 34 and available, handsome, spiritual. And he, and he, 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 he takes young men under his wing and mentors them, gives them a, a father figure. Or his father, Bob, goes on some Sundays he's not here, he goes to the military base, he goes to MCRD, and he fathers new recruits, Marines. And uh, Ron Farnsworth, my goodness, does our prison ministry. Ron back there, and he goes and he um, fathers these prisoners that everybody's given up on, these guys who are fatherless. And Ron goes in there and and he uh, took Alex under his wing when he came here from Russia. And now Alex's family's here. And Ron has been a father to him. It's just, we have great dads in this house. So, DAD. Kid, guys in this house are devoted to their kids. They affirm their kids. And finally, they demonstrate how to love and follow Christ. 
You know, God said to uh, the angels one day when they came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, this is amazing. God says, wait a minute, let's not do this until we tell Abraham about it. What? God is a relational God. God called Abraham his friend. God and Abraham had a friendship. For me, my personal definition of Christianity is friendship with God and friendship with one another. I think friendship is the core essence of why God created us. So somebody asked when I was down in the orphanage, I was eating breakfast, and the lady next to me said, does this fill your bucket? I think she means, does this like fill you up, give you joy, give give you fulfillment, coming down and helping these these orphans? And I didn't really answer because I I couldn't say yes. And then she said, what what does fill you up? What does fill your bucket? And I, I thought about it, and I didn't answer her. And later we were walking across the compound. I said, I have an answer for you. I thought about what you said. I said, what fills my bucket isn't ministry, isn't even going down to help the orphans. I said, that certainly brings me tremendous joy when you help somebody and it really makes a difference in their life. I just get giddy. I mean, when you're just wanting to bless people and you bless somebody and it really blesses them and helps them, just like giving a Christmas gift, you know, it's it's much more enjoyable to give and see the person's face light up than to receive. We all know that. What I said to her was, what fills my bucket is my friendship with God. Because that's apart from parenting. It's apart from ministry. It's apart from missions. It's apart from my job. Because life is fickle. Life is unpredictable. Good days, bad days. But your friendship with God is always. And it's autonomous from everything else. Well, Abraham had a friendship with God like that. To the point where God said, I'm not even going to do anything until I tell Abraham about it. And look why he chose Abraham. Ready for this, dads? For I know him. But he will command his sons and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. What did the Lord promise Abraham? That if you will train your children to follow after me, I will bless your kids. And he said, I can trust Abraham as the first believer. Abraham was the first father. He didn't even have any children. And God said, out of the whole planet, I choose you. I'm going to start a brand new race from you. It's going to be the Jewish race. And I'm going to send my son through your lineage. And he's going to be the savior of the world. Will you worship me? And Abraham said, yes. And it says God chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would teach his children how to love and follow God. said the same thing to Moses. Look what Moses said. Attention, Israel. God, our God. We're coming to a close here. God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Do you know why he commanded them this? Because they were about to go into another city, another town, another land, another culture where they worshiped false gods. They were given to sexual immorality. They were given to witchcraft. They were given to 
uh, values and customs that were contrary to who God is, his holiness, his nature, his purity, his righteousness, his justice. And he said, you have got to what? Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from time to time when you get up in the morning, when you fall in bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. Why? Get the word of God into your kids. Teach them about me. Why? Because they are going to go into the world where they're going to be surrounded by peers who do not know me, love me, or worship me. And they will be drawn away with the spirit of the world. And I will lose them. I see dads in this church constantly bringing their children to come and serve here. James, uh, Rick Higgins has James serving in the children's church. I see Eric Thodlander bringing his kids and, and serving in the worship team. I see Les uh, would take his son Hunter to the food and prayer outreach. I mean, I see dads, uh, Jim Grodendahl brings his whole family to the praise gathering. I see dads teaching their children how to love God, modeling how to love God, to give them the best shot at walking with God themselves. I'm going to say it again. You're doing a great job around here, dads. I see Lewis taking his family, his entire family, down to the orphanage. I thought, what a maniac. We both have six kids. I brought one. And so in our room, we had our own little, it's like a little motel room. We had our own, we shared a room together all week, and it was great. I go down to the Morris room, I open it up, and it's a compound, man. It's like 16 bunk beds going down this real long, dark, narrow. And I see, I get in and I see him with a bottle of Jack in his hands. I say, no, not true. It was tequila. It was, it, that was about the last day, so he did good for the first five days. The men I know in this church I know have the heart and the desire and they're doing the best they can to be like Joshua who said this. When he talked to all the dads in Israel and he said, look, we are about to go from the land that God has given to us and we are about to, well, actually they went into the land God had given to them and there were God, false gods all around them. Joshua took God's people into the land of Canaan. And there were false gods and anti-God customs all around them. And Joshua, the leader, stood up and addressed all the dads and said, Serve the Lord. And if you think it's evil to serve God, then you choose which gods you want to serve. And then he ends with this last phrase. Will you say this out loud with me, dads? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, your kids may not follow, but if you will do that and you meet Jesus, 
face to face. You give it everything you've got. You do your best. He will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, some of you dads, I've had some dads say, I really feel like I've blown it. And I don't think, I don't think that I can, I don't think I have another chance. Okay? You're still alive. They're still alive. You still have a shot. You can still be the dad that you wanted to be. One of the guys was down at the, down at the um, Men's Rehabilitation Center down in Mexico. He came there, and he was a complete wreck. Family kicked him out, lost his job, arrested, in prison, trashed. He comes down there, and Hans said he was one of the hardest guys he's ever worked with his entire life. This guy was just a wad. I mean, unteachable, prideful, rebellious, you know, alcoholic, drug-addicted, heroin addict. After he was there for five years, he said to Hans, I want to go home. I haven't seen my family in 25 years. So he gets on a bus. He drives three days. Gets, gets to, his, to his town. He can't find his family. He can't find his daughter. He wanted to see his daughter. And uh, he's coming back. He's at a bus stop. And this daughter or this woman walks up to him and says you're my dad how divine he said I, I'm, I'm, I want to be the dad that was always meant to be another dad did the same thing came to his daughter's door she opened it and he said I'm your dad she says no you're not he died 25 years ago and uh He convinced her finally to realize it was her dad. He said, I just want to be the dad I was always, always wanted to be. Dad, you can be the dad you've always wanted to be if you feel like you have failed. I want to say that being a dad does not mean you're perfect. Don't, don't reach for that. Nobody's perfect. Kids aren't perfect. Dads aren't perfect. The fact that you're here, the fact that you are dedicated, devoted, affirming, is huge in your kids' lives. Some of you may feel far from God today, far from the Father. I'm going to close with this. And then I have a video I want to show. It's a very touching video. It's a video that really honors dads. Some of you may feel really far from your Father today, your Heavenly Father. Will you just close your eyes with me real quick? For those that, let me go back for a second. Keep your eyes closed. For those of you that feel like you have failed as a father, I want to ask you right now, ask the Holy Spirit, sincerely right now, just take a minute. There's always hope, as Hans says. There's always hope. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you one thing that you can do today to begin to be the dad that you always wanted to be, devoted, affirming, and demonstrating how to follow Christ. Ask Him right now. I'm going to get quiet. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me. Okay, now, whatever he just whispered to your heart or thought to put in your mind, do that. Just do one thing at a time. 
to repair that relationship. I want to pray over the fathers right now. I want to pray for healing homes. Father, I bless the fathers. We all bless the fathers in this house today. Father heart of God, we pray right now that you would pour out your father heart into the dads in this house this morning. We pray as the Father in heaven that you would affirm the dads in this house today. That you are devoted to them. That you affirm them as your sons. And that you love them no matter what. Even if they were the ones to put the wipes in the toilet. You love them, God. Affirm that to him, just like you said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, dads, receive that this morning. Will you receive God's, your father in heaven, his unconditional love, just like he showed the prodigal. Now, for those of you here today that may be that prodigal, you may be the one that feels so far from God. I want to say to you, there's, you cannot sin too much or run too far that your heavenly Father isn't on the horizon looking for you to come home. And He's calling you home today. Will you come home to the Father this morning? He's calling you home. If that's you, and you feel, well, you know that you are the prodigal. You are the one who's very far from God. And you want to come home today to your heavenly Father. Will you raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I see your hand right here. Anybody else raise your hand and say, I need to come home to my father today. I see your hand. Anybody else? Raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray. I see your hand. I see your hand back here. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I'm far from God, and I'm coming home. I see your hand, sir. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Say, I'm coming home. The father's calling you today. He's got the softest underbelly in the universe. I see your hand back there, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody here today who has never given your life to Jesus Christ? Jesus said this, Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to the Father God. Jesus was the only sinless one, and he died in your place. You must come through Jesus to get to the Father. And God will forgive Every sin you've ever committed instantaneously if you come through his son. Is there anyone here today who has never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to do it today? Will you raise your hand right where you are? Okay, I want you to pray this prayer with me, okay? Dear God, I thank you. Now, now pray this prayer. Dear God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love that is bigger than my sins, greater than my brokenness. You don't shame me. You don't reject me. You are my Father. And I come to you today. I'm coming home. Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. Okay, yes. My wife would like to say something. Well, she can always say something whenever she wants to say something. And then we have a, a special video to honor dads.
Um, I was laying in bed last night, and I was... I think the Holy Spirit showed me something that I want to share with you guys today. Um, on the occasion of Father's Day, I don't want to stand up here and dishonor my father who passed away in 2010. But suffice it to say, it was a lifetime of a difficult relationship. Um, he made overtures toward the end of his life to kind of smooth things out. But for the majority, it was difficult. And when he did pass away in 2010, um, after four marriages and four divorces and out of four children, only two of whom were still speaking to him. One of them was me. Um, I learned along the way that um, I wanted to be obedient to the Bible, where the Bible says to honor your father and mother, and at the same time have the kind of boundaries where he wasn't able to dishonor me or dishonor my family. And so it was the last few years that kind of was the, the walk that we were on. Um, so, But last night I remembered something. You know, if, if I were to look at life, at scales, and the relationship with my dad and the good and the bad, unfortunately, probably the negative side would be really heavy compared to the positive side. But I was laying in bed last night and I remembered something. Um, I remember, and I know my mom will remember this story. I was in the sixth grade and I wanted a pair of Nike tennis shoes. Everyone, the, the style was they were the all leather sneakers and they were $40, which back in the day was a lot of money. And my dad was not about to pay that much for a pair of shoes. So I worked really hard cleaning his, he owned a barbershop, and I cleaned the barbershop, and I saved my money, and I bought my own pair of Nikes, and, you know, they were like gold. I took such good care of these shoes. And I hadn't had them two weeks, and I went to Skate City, which is the place we all went on the weekend, and I put my shoes in the cubicle, and I got my skates, and at the end of the night, I went back, and someone had stolen my shoes. And so, that, of course, you can imagine, I'm devastated, I'm distraught, I'm crying. So the long story, the, the, the end of the story is the next day, Monday was my dad's day off. I came home from school on Monday afternoon, and on the table was a new pair of Nikes. He didn't say a word because that was not my dad's style. I never heard an I love you until maybe one year before he passed away my entire life. You, you never heard anything positive. But that was, if I'm honest, one of the only gestures positive over the course of our relationship. But here's my point. God chooses to see the good in us. He has the opportunity to focus on and to see the negative that is definitely there that he knows more than anybody else. But he chooses to see the positive. And sometimes to maintain relationship, and this also goes for dads down with your kids. Today when we go and we have lunch and we have strained relationships with our kids or we have strained relationships with our dad, I guess the word that I'm trying to say is choose to see the best. Um that's, you know, there's good and bad in all of us, and for the sake of your relationship, don't focus on what they're doing wrong because you don't have any control over that. You choose today to see the best in your dad and dads and your kids. That's awesome, Paul. And that, that's a great segue into this video. We're going to see dads at their best. Watch this. Ha-ha! This is Dad Life. It's how we live, 24-7, 365. Check me. Gas station glasses, don't care what the masses think about me with my sweet goatee. I'm rocking my dockers with a cup and a crease. I got that St. John's bank and the clip for my piece. I look nice. I got dozens of dollars and that's right. It goes straight to my daughters and my wife. 
I'm a miracle dad, making magic with the checkbook is the talent I have. I roll hard in the yard with a 60-inch cut. Zero turn radius, my neighbors say, what? They be driving by, peeping my landscape. Yo, these greens got nothing on my manscape. Hydrangea, begonia, crepe myrtle, ornamental turtle. Hold up, is that a weed in my fescue? Oh, no. Round up to the rescue. It's the dead life. It's the dead life. Take my daughter to the party. It's the dead life. It's the dead life. It's the dead life. Shooting vids of the kids. It's the dead life. Roll up to the splash pad. 10 a.m. My whole entourage hops out the minivan. We splishy splashy for an hour or two. Then it's back to the house. Yeah. Prepping for the barbecue. Brats, dogs, records, whatever. Get me on the weaver, man. Nobody does it better. Call me Lord of the Grill. I'm king of the coals. Nana secret recipe. You know how I roll. 1080p, 16 by 9. I'm rocking man cave status with a screen like mine. Keep your peanut butter hands off my 50 inch Vizio. Pop up the corn, roll the Disney video. We got Aladdin, Jasmine, Abu, the genie. With kids like mine, everybody wants to be me. Sing the night song and then it's off to bed. This is the dad life, no more to be said. It's the dad life. 